history 101. Alright, what's up everybody and welcome to Gaming History 101, the Retro Video Games Podcast. I am Fred Rojas and I am joined today by, uh, or, and joining me today from a little hole in the wall that just closed on the bitter streets of London, is that- Mr. Jam Elias. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very good, Fred. That seems strangely appropriate because pretty much every store in London is closing that sells games. I would oh say. no, not game. <laughs> game will give you a <laughs> shitty Battletoads T-shirt with your copy of Rare Replay. You only have to pay ten more dollars, which is probably more than that fucking shirt's worth. But anyway, <laughs> you can tell I'm not you... bitter, right? Uh, we want to know how much you love Battletoads, Fred. <laughs> I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy <laughs> of that. And do a live stream of me playing Battletoads. I'm just going to get a six-pack of beer and just become a crotchety old bastard. But uh, what's up, sir? How are you doing? I'm doing very good, Fred. How are you? I am good. I'm good. Too many games. I know, yeah. I'm yeah. bombarded with a world of too many gamers. But, uh, um, Which I think is appropriate with your new article you just posted as well. Ah, yes. Niche, ga- niche gaming. Niche gaming. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can go check that out. We won't talk too much about it. But uh, yeah, right now, if you're into niche gaming, uh, you are bombarded by a lot of new games in old series. <laughs> so uh, most people aren't aware of this, but Oni Chambara uh, does date back to the PlayStation 2 era. Yep. And Godzilla goes farther. I believe the first Godzilla mm. game I've ever played was on Super Famicom. But again, yeah. that was a ROM much later in time the first official one was i imported a playstation one copy of godzilla and it was terrible (laughs) well i heard this new one isn't so good either but (laughs) yeah yeah you wouldn't know that looking at my video because i have a lot of fun with it but uh the problem is or the benefit rather is that that video is 34 minutes long um Mm. it's right around uh yeah the end fort and guard don't lie you know you want a battletoads (laughs) t-shirt no, <laughs> no, I don't. Although, although, I want a Battletoads t-shirt where they're hanging out with the Ninja Turtles. You that know, just to just to put it on face value. Mm-hmm. Shredder having a having a fucking stogie with uh, whoever that uh, crazy dominatrix was yeah, that they were fighting. In. <laughs> yeah, in Battletoads. But uh, <coughs> anyway. But uh, Back yeah, in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, I did have a couple of uh, quick announcements. So I know we don't usually do news stuff, um, mm-hmm. but there were a couple of good things I wanted to it mention. Appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, um, I finally did get. You know, I had some stuff go on last week. I think some people might have seen the tweets about it. Just so people want to, in case people want to know, uh, my daughter just uh, she had some fluid build up in her hip joint, which uh, is no big deal, and it wasn't trauma based. They don't believe. We don't really know why it happened, but for a three and a half year old, that can be very painful because you don't yet understand what you're supposed to do. Don't sit this way. Why does it hurt? All this stuff. She had to go and have it aspirated while being put under. So technically, it's surgery, but I wouldn't consider it that. 
Um, and then she had to spend a couple days in the hospital. So it was it was pretty crazy. Nothing too scary once they figured out what it was. It was that first 12 hours of figuring out what it is. Yeah. That uh, was probably the worst. But that took me away. So then I promptly got to work and uh, popped up the community top 10. So definitely check that out. Uh, Voss wanted me to let you all know he very much knew. Uh, I say in there that, that he says Spawn was part of marvel but it was just how he wrote he wrote the email quickly and so he's like i was aware spawn was part of image he goes i just wanted you to know that and uh i can totally understand that when you make uh, mistakes like that and you see them you're like god why would i say that you know and so yeah so um also on the topic of xbox jam do you are you familiar with ign mm-hmm. okay they have a bunch of gaming podcasts that I don't know how many people. Yeah, I don't know how many people <laughs> so listen many. to. Um, uh, but uh, podcast unlocked, probably one of my least favorite of their podcasts, which is their all Xbox centric podcast. Uh, does have Ryan McCaffrey on there, and he's a very good uh, games press guy. I like what he does. He's been working for them for a long time. I think he's been on the Xbox beat for like eight years or something. He's been doing it a while. Uh, Podcast Unlocked episode two uh, two zero one. It's one of the more recent ones. Um, is notable because it's uh, it was posted on July first. If you want to go check the IGN feed, it has Xbox creator Seamus Blackley. It has former head of Xbox and Xbox 360, Peter Moore, now working at EA. He's the guy who got the tattoo of Halo on his arm. Yeah. And current head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, all sitting around for about an hour and a half talking about the good old days and the stories of doing that stuff. So it's amazing. Uh, It's actually a really good episode. Um, He really sits back and just lets them all talk. So I, I think it's a... Uh, it's an excellent episode that people should check out. Um, additionally, I did get that uh, um, the uh, the Iwata podcast up, so you guys can go check that out if you'd like to. Um, and I think that's about it. Uh, the last part that I was talking about, which Saiwan was talking about the post, was uh, I purchased a CDI, a Philips <laughs> CDI. I did. <laughs> I did. It comes. I with, one, yeah, I remember you saying that's one of the ones you're missing. It's ago. the one I'm missing. Yes, the Wii one. Yeah. Technically speaking, I am missing a Neo Geo CD and a Jaguar yeah. CD. But the reason I argue those aren't that big of a deal is the Jaguar CD, to my knowledge, other than Blue Thunder, which is kind of a port, uh, doesn't have anything exclusive to it. And Neo Geo CD is excused by the fact that it's all Neo Geo games. Like if you have a Neo Geo, which I do then you're kind of covered. So I have a Neo Geo with almost no games though, because I converted, I sold a lot of them off because they're worth a lot of money now. And I got them all for virtual console. And that may be blasphemy for some, but it wasn't for me. I still have the console though, just in case like Windjammers pops up and somebody hands me a copy of a thousand dollar game and I can just slip it into the cartridge. But, um, Fortingard, we will talk, but, uh, um, Oh, why is it sad that I picked up a, uh, a CDI? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> because it means now I'm going to have to cover things like Sword of Gamelon <laughs> and the other Zelda games. Zelda um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I'm waiting for it. The guy's kind of a, a, shitty, a shitty eBay seller. Um, 
his product looks good and he's got a lot of positive stuff, but he's really bad at communicating. And he did that thing where like I paid for it on last Thursday and he gave me a tracking number like over the weekend. And to this day, he's not dropped it off at a FedEx place. And I paid a pretty penny for, for shipping like 35 bucks. So yeah, but I paid very little for the console, like probably a lot less than he wanted. Um, so Fair enough. We'll see. If people want to know, it comes with 10 games, two controllers, and uh, it's guaranteed to work. Um, and uh, it was it, it sold for 60 bucks. <laughs> That's pretty good. I got it for like 61 bucks. Now, it came out to like 100 with shipping. But still, most of your console only, they can't promise it plays games and doesn't have any real controller other than the infrared remote. Uh, usually will cost you a lot more, so... So, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, but they're all kind of shitty games like uh, Compton's Interactive Encyclopedia. Uh, however, Voyeur was on that that's list. A game. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, Tiger Claw says, Pixels opens this weekend, and I know you got to see it way before anyone else did. Yes, and that that uh, review will go live Fine. Thursday morning. <laughs> what? You're waiting for that phrase. Yes, it's written. It was written like uh, like four months ago. Uh, but yes, yeah, so it's it's ready to go. Didn't Pr- Cherry Pratcher's Discworld come out on the CDI? Yes. Okay, so I want to discuss this really quick. <clears throat> so as people are probably aware, <clears throat> I wrote about this, talked about it last week. I'm doing Cron Gaming. I'm doing a Cron CD, which chronicles a CD-based consoles. And I've decided to widen my expansion now that I do have everything in place, which means I am no longer just doing Sega CD. I am doing TurboGrafx CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, which may include some PC Engine CD. I'll explain that in one sec. Sega CD, 3DO, and CDI. Cutting it off at the PlayStation. Not involving Jaguar CD or Neo Geo CD for those reasons. However, I will mention them on the first episode. I'm going to do like an episode zero that should go live in a couple weeks. Um, So here's the thing. There are lots of games that are on everything, such as Psy One's talking about Terry Pratchard's Discworld. Uh, I'll have to check... For sure, if it's on the CDI. If it is, I will be able to cover it. If it's not, uh, we mostly won't see that until it gets weird ports other than the PC, uh, which I am leaving out of this. This is going to be home console. It gets a weird port on, what, the Saturn and the PlayStation, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you guys get that in Europe? Do you know, Jim? What's the CDI? Not the CDI. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you might have, but uh, <laughs> Jesus it's hard enough finding an NTSC copy. Uh, PAL would be even worse because at least Asia helps us out with ours. But uh, no, 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 Discworld. Yeah, but no, yeah, Disco. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Is yeah, there a port on PS1 or yeah. Saturn? Okay. Yeah, place, I think and Saturn, I think. <clears throat> okay, then, because I don't think we got them both here. But definitely you can import PAL copies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll look into that. But here's basically how I'm going to do it. Um for multi-console games, it'll mostly be Sega CD, and the reason being is Sega CD usually did it first. So Dragon's Lair gets its first port to CD consoles on Sega CD. Therefore, there's no real reason to go back and cover it when it comes out on the CDI and the 3DO and things like that. What I will do is uh, probably do a quick comparison video, you know, or like portion of the episode will have comparisons on there. Um <clears throat> Thanks to the miracle of emulation, I can make TurboGrafx CD look really good. I can make Sega CD look fantastic. Jam, you should see some of this test footage. I, I might show some to you. Yeah. The test footage of uh, Sega CD in 1080p. No bullshit. 
It's amazing. I don't stretch it out, though. I keep it on either side. But um, <laughs> the chat is really feeling for me on all this. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so we're going to do it that way. And uh, for Turbo Graphics, there's lots of PC Engine CD games, specifically 416 of them. I'm not going to cover all those because the one thing that like Crontendo gets to get around is that in Japan, a lot of those Famicom games are still playable by America's standards, right? You don't need to know Japanese to play a lot of Famicom games. That's not really the case with CD-based games, especially RPGs. Mm -hmm. So instead, what I'm going to do is out of the 416 release games, 42 came out in America on the TurboGrafx wow. CD. Um, so what I'm going to do is kind of weave them in when they are valuable to the American. This is going to be American-centric. So I apologize, Jam. I apologize, Saiwan. I apologize, everyone oh, out there. All right. That this is going to mostly be American-centric. Yeah, we got mostly the same stuff. But predominantly English-centric, exactly. Um, but I have to go by Japanese uh, in terms of release dates because they're the only ones who documented them. There's no documentation of the release dates of any of these. And in Japan, yeah. almost all of them are documented. So this will be in order of release date uh, by Japan, but as it's relevant. So, for example, um, while I think that... Uh, that like I, I don't know i'm trying to find a good example so on the turbo graphics 16 cd there's this amazing game called like it's alive or they live or something and it's like a big bug game or something but it's all in japanese and it uses weird clips and stuff like that it's going to be hard for me to discern what that's about so i'm not going to play that game but on the flip side there were some japanese games that are relevant to us like gates of thunder and lords of thunder were only in japan but these are great shmups that you can grab on the psn and on the virtual console for the Wii. Well, then those are probably relevant to cover because if you're an American or European, there's no reason not to grab it. The same thing will be true of Rondo of Blood. The same thing will be true of Valise, uh, which were also Mega Drive games and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, there are lots of examples. Uh, even Gradius 2, Go Fair No Yobo, that was, that's on virtual console for the Wii. So that's where those will come in. I will cover that which is relevant to America. And God help me, all 42 games on the TurboGrafx CD. The interesting thing about that is the TurboGrafx CD gets games from 1989 all the way up to 1995. So it will be intermittent mixed with all these and the same is pretty much true the cdi premieres in 91 so does the sega cd and then the 3do comes in in 93 and they all die in 95 when the saturn and, <laughs> and playstation come out so that's what um that's what we're gonna do um and derek h is correct tg16 games in the u.s so basically a working designs retrospective kind yeah. of and a lot will be said about that for sega cd as well because with sega cd i'm not going to cover a lot of those japanese sega cd games what i will do is i will play them so if you want to follow our twitch which is probably your best way to get a look at these mm -hmm. as i'm playing them i will play them on the twitch stream so if you subscribe it will tell you when i'm broadcasting and i always update it to tell you what i'm broadcasting um i'll play the game and discern whether or not it's relevant for that um as far as um, TG16 CD games released in the U.S., actually, Derek, it's a little more than Working Designs, but you're right, like lots of East, uh, which is Falcom, but I think Working Designs ported them. But uh, there will be some shit in there, too, like Adam's Family. Um, it might even get the first version of Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which is also a Sega CD game, things like that. But what people need to remember is, unlike the Because Sega CD or the CD Marathon-a-thons, you don't have to sit through two hours. It's going to be 45-minute, 60-minute episodes where I cover each game with clips and, you know, kind of like we do with Gaming History 101 for, you know, a little while. So it's something to look forward to. Um, 
but uh, and and again, Fortingard, uh, I will look at a lot of. Uh, uh, there will be a lot of uh, different uh, things I will look at and consider. Um, you know, uh, with with stuff like he's recommending um, <clears throat> Super Robot Wars <laughs> <laughs> and various other things. So. Um, you know, so we'll see. But uh, the other thing that's going to kind of be jaunting is... Uh, now, it won't matter because the video itself will be mastered in 1080p. But it'll be kind of jaunting to see the quality difference with TurboGrafx CD, which I believe goes as high as 720p on the emulator. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Sega CD, which is 1080p. And then there is no emulator there are emulators but they don't do a good enough job so i'm going to use actual hardware using s video which is the best out they've got they don't have rgb out so s video with 3do and uh and uh, cdi however if you guys have watched like the primal rage video i mean that was captured on s video so i guess that's Mm -hmm. pretty good um but anyway so that's what's going on i'm trying right now organizing all the release dates and, and trying to plan it out but basically what will happen is over the course of each month i will play probably you know five games uh in chronological order and uh, you'll see those streams i'll play them for a few hours like each but then i will take all that footage put them together and make like a little documentary out of it and again i'm making a episode zero uh that should be out sometime around september for august 1st sorry august 1st so we will see anyway the other thing that i've learned with the shenmue stream is that i'm going to continue playing games like this you know but uh uh, I'm thinking about doing near soon, but there's a got to be some in betweens. Oh, yeah. yeah, but I don't think I can do a scheduled thing, and I don't think I can do daily. So just so people know, I kind of needed a little bit of a breather from Shenmue right now, which is funny because I'm on day three of your job, and apparently there's five <laughs> days of the job, and then you you have kind of the end game. So I'm so close to the end, but that that still gives me some time, and I needed a breather, uh, especially with a lot of modern games taking my attention. Um, so yeah. Anyway, hard work on the forklift. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm having fun with it, but man, when I fucked up that race recently, pissed me off, got second place. Anyway, yeah. So, um, but uh, oh, and again, I, I, I like I said, I'm not doing uh, reviews. These will be videos. These are almost yeah. uh, if you guys have ever seen Crontendo, this is almost to kind of devolve dis- in and and dissect the different types of developments and whatnot that are going, uh, you know, how games developed as time went on. The Sega CD, or the TurboGrafx CD games in the beginning, like Bonk's Revenge, are basically Bonk's Revenge. It doesn't look any better, and really, I mean, spoilers, doesn't Mm. play a whole lot better at all. So, anyway, but, uh, yeah, so that, that Shenmue thing and all that stuff, again, all kinds of reasons why you should probably subscribe, so you can just see what crazy bullshit I'm playing and figure it out which by the way i, I mentioned i was going to play the the silent hill thing it's great it worked on one computer but like voss said mm-hmm. it did give me a virus as well worked fine oh, i found a way to get it virus free and it kept crashing on me so i mm-hmm. silent hill the arcade is not meant for us uh, it's no. not meant for this world it's meant for arcades like yours jam but anyway all right after that heavy front end stuff anything else you want to mention sir before we move into uh video game shops Mom and grab shops. Uh, no, no, I'm nothing to mention this stage, but I do have a few things that should be going live, hopefully by the end of this week. Well, not the end, but during this week, I should say. So, awesome. stuff is on the way. Of- yes. 
Huh? Oh, well, just some of the stuff that I was, I was mentioning about. Um, my uh, my partner and I, or me, Tendi, who's been on the extra credit episodes, uh, we went to Comic Con over the weekend, and uh, I, I met someone very interesting there, who uh, Duncan Gusteridge, who's the, the artist for uh, some of the old Sega titles, um, specifically famous for Sonic Two and Echo the Dolphin. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I had a bit of time, had had a bit of a good sort of sit down chat with him, and um, got to kind of you know shake his hand. He sort of shared some of his stories about Sega. Um, yeah, really, really kind of cool guy. He is um, he is British. He sort of lives over here, and um, he lectures at university. Well, he doesn't really lecture. He teaches at university. He says now um, he teaches art. He doesn't work in the video game industry anymore, but he obviously has a lot of history with Sega and sort of doing artwork for games and. Um, being someone like yourself, Fred, who's quite into like you know, the whole art book scene, it was um, it was kind of interesting, kind of hearing his design sort of you know his design thinking for what he was going for back then. And a lot of his sort of mm-hmm. artwork was actually used for um, calendars uh, for Sega back in the day. It was it was very prominent in Sonic the Comic, which I think was in Europe only. Actually, I don't think you had that in America. Did you? We did not. No. no. Well, I mean, we had the shitty Archie one, but I think that was much later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I, that that <laughs> I think that was um, an after the fact. But, uh... um, but he also <laughs> featured in sort of the gaming magazines at the time as well. Um, but yeah, but I, I won't talk too much about it now because there's lots of. Uh, I'll, I'll put it up more in a, in a bit more detail um, this week. But hopefully, we should also. Uh, well, he, he's uh, he says he's obviously quite a busy man, being the sort of person that he is, and with with university work that we should actually have an interview with him as well that we can get on the website too, which should be awesome. Nice. Yeah, I cannot wait. Uh, that's uh, that's fantastic. We also, I should point out real quick, we are going to have a lot of guests in a very special show next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's something to uh, watch out for as well. So definitely, if you can, join live. Allgames.com, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Tuesday. Specifically, this will be the 728 episode, which is why we are delaying the, uh, um, the game club to uh, <clears throat> for... Um, uh, uh, Alpha Protocol, which yeah. we don't need. Of all the game clubs, we didn't need to delay. <laughs> no, no, yeah. We're both done with it. But uh, the game club for Alpha Protocol uh, is going to be delayed to uh, to the first uh, early in August, and then we are doing a Metal Gear Solid one. So you patrons yeah. out there, go vote. We've already gotten one vote, um, but you patrons out there, you can go vote for. We're doing Metal Gear Solid either two, three, four, or Peace Walker. Mm-hmm. I should point out, Jam and I are going to do an extra credit because I know people don't want us to go too Metal Gear heavy. So, Jam, yeah. I volunteered you to do an extra credit with me on the first Metal Gears uh, yeah, because yeah, Metal cool. Gear 1, Metal Gear 2, uh, the MSX yeah. one, yes, and Metal Gear Solid are all kind of iterative versions of leading up to the same game. Mm. And then we'll go do the Game Club one uh, for whatever game um, <clears throat> gets selected. So you can go vote. There is There are votes in, so make sure you get the one you want. Um, and... Uh, and so, yeah, so that that will be going on, and we will do the Metal Gear one um, before the end of the month because of Metal Gear Five coming out on September first, which I hope isn't delayed. I don't think it will be. There's too much out there already of like boxes being printed and stuff. Yeah, but. they're too busy erasing Hideo Kojima's name off the boxes. That's what's taking them a while. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. So. Um, but uh, but yes. Yes, it's uh, it's going to be uh, it, next week is going to be a very important um, and very good episode. So uh, mm-hmm. I highly recommend everyone check it out, uh, even if you don't catch it live. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> so yeah, so uh, lots to come. Let's get started on mom and pop shops. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
Real quick, I wanted to take a step, and Jam and I will both be talking about this for a second. Uh, so people were like, instead of like GameStop, right? That's the evil, <laughs> wicked yeah. beast, and uh, or game, or game in or Europe. EB right? Games, if you're Canadian. Yes, yes. Which EB Games was over here too, but oh, uh, yeah. they kind of got phased out a lot quicker. Um, I don't think, I think your local mom and pop shop could still be like Blockbuster, for example. I don't know about you, Jam, but Blockbuster's yeah. on my list. Yeah, I've got that on my list too. Um, and it was franchise based. So I think there's some arguments to that, but we'll talk about it. Um, but uh, I, I think there's one thing to point out, which is the reason people come so hard on GameStop is because GameStop is kind of the the aberration of and game i'm guessing it runs the exact yeah. same gamut they're probably owned by that's, the same fucking identical. people um they're abhorrent in what they sell versus what they like what they buy your stuff for versus what they sell it for mm-hmm. um let's do a real quick comparison jam give me a a, mod, a semi-modern game give me anything here semi-modern we'll modern game um, we'll do 50 Cent Blood in the Sand. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, perfect. This is a perfect example. Okay, so 50 Cent Blood on the Sand, if you go in and trade it in, will fetch you $1.76 in store credit, provided that you have a special card, like a, a membership card. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you get $1.60. Wow. So that's just to give you an idea. However, if you were to walk in and purchase 50 cent blood on the sand it would run you 9.99 if you're paying attention that is an 80 percent markup well not an 80 percent markup that is a 400 percent markup yeah they uh, and that's being nice Mm. Uh, at a buck 60 it's more like a like 1200 percent markup um there's a lot of math here anyway they're paying a dollar 60 in store credit this isn't even cash you can get on yeah. what they're selling for 10. Now, back in the day, though, Jam, and I'd like to hear your opinion of what I'm sure was the equivalent in um, in, in Europe, uh, and it might have been Game. Uh, GameStop used to be known as Funco Land. Uh, Funco Land is the major incorporation that became GameStop. Uh, there was also EB Games, as you had mentioned before, and another place called Electronics Boutique, and finally a place called Babbage's. They all kind of merged together. They were a lot of ma- yeah. uh, mall sailors, uh, sellers, not sailors like ha ha hardy har. I'm looking for people in Shenmue, uh, um, but uh, and uh, they all came together. Well, Funko Land used to be a little more transparent, and used to be a little more of what I think I'd be very pleased to get nowadays, which was you could get about 40% value in cash. You could get about 60% value in trade and you could pick up big books that had, uh, these really came about uh, at the end of the 16 bit era. So mid nineties, um, where you could see what everything was worth. So you knew what was more valuable than other things. And you could also see what was more expensive than other things. Um, and oftentimes our local Funko Land would even tell you they would um, scratch out what games weren't in stock because the, the new ones would come out every month. They'd come out literally like a newspaper, on newspaper, recycled style paper. And the reason I liked that, and there was no, I think they might have had the 10% deal 
Or at least they, they got it pretty early on. But back then, that was okay. Like, I was cool getting $6 in store credit for 50 cent blood on the sand if they're selling it for 10 And I was cool getting $4 cash, too. And I don't know if you, what your rules were, but our law was if it was over 20 your parents had to come in. Um, I like that a lot more. I also like the fact that you could go in and demo any game at Funco Land. Um, you could go in there, and if you wanted any game that was in stock... You just tell them they had all the boxes on the walls, but of course the games were behind the counter, and you could play that game. They had five stations yeah. set up at my fun Land, wow. and so you could play any game. Yes, they had two Super Nintendo stations, two Genesis stations, one NES station, and then there was like a little area that they kind of locked you in, but I'm making it sound more nefarious than it was. Think of it as like a penalty box for like ice hockey, you know? Mm-hmm. And they had Game Boys, Game Gears, and Lynxes, so you could play huh. those games. And you could demo any game for, I think it was five or ten minutes, and if you were cool, they didn't really care. This is very different than what's going on now. And Fortingard's talking about royalties and various other things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I... Uh, uh, did you have anything like that? Was game like that back in the 90s? Like, did you guys have any chains that were a little more fair, like Funko Land? Because, like, again, GameStop started with good intentions. It just became what it is now. Yeah. Before game, we did actually have um, um, EB Games here as well, or Electronic Boutique, as they called it over here, which I think is the same thing. Um, but we also had a, we had a, we had a store called Game Station over here, um, which which is interesting because they were eventually absorbed by game and then eventually they were shut down eventually but so they kind of went the same way but they were kind of the what you were discussing they gave a fa- bit more of a fair trade in as well and they generally were offered better value for the sort of their used games and um, <clears throat> and a lot of people that most people that um, sort of live in this country would probably um, at least get you know gamers uh, would argue that game station was kind of like the better place to go if you're kind of a, if you're really into gaming because mm-hmm. uh, the people that generally work there were a bit more passionate about game games as well as opposed to sort of game and um, as opposed to game which whereas it's just your typical employees that you probably expect to see at GameStop in America where you know it's just their job and they they don't particularly you know, they, they might, you might come across some people. Well, I, don't, I don't want to sound like we're sort of hitting on people that work at these places. No, actually, <laughs> I, can, I can make it easier. Uh, yeah. Traditionally, like in the 90s, video games weren't as... I don't know how to say this without coming off like yeah. insulting, so I'm just going to say it and what, yeah. take it for the value I'm giving it. Game shop workers were very much viewed as enthusiasts... Yeah. And people who were, think of, not elitists like the comic book guy in Simpsons, but to a certain extent, that kind of guy, right? Yeah. They, you, your guys usually knew at any EB or, or place like that, they knew their shit. They knew what they were talking about, or at least to a certain extent. And usually you could walk in there within the first week of a game releasing, and they could tell you what it was like. And this was before yeah. they were allowed to open the fucking games up and take them home and everybody plays them. I literally walked into GameStop today to pick up my Oni Chambara, and the fucking dude was ripping open hungrily one of the copies of the game which it's a special edition so it's wow. got all the discs and stuff yeah, and just yeah, tossing all the stuff aside extracting the disc and throwing it on the shelf and then i watched him pop it in his bag like he was so sure no one was going to come in and buy that opened copy that he wow. like was guaranteed to be able to go home and play it and i don't mind that he wanted to go home and play it but the fact that like he was just eager to do it mm. right but i guess that's one of the few perks left for that soulless fucking company get, but yeah the point being is 
Now it's just another retail job. So yeah. some people, you still get those people who like it that much. Um, believe it or not, my high school girlfriend now works as a, and has for like 10 years now, works at, and manages a GameStop in our <laughs> local town. Yeah, wow. and apparently she's fucking amazing at it. It's funny because <laughs> she didn't really like video games when we were wow. dating. Yeah. <laughs> She kind of played some Nintendo games with me while we were dating in high school, yeah. but that was about it. Um, and that was just because her dad had a Nintendo with a bunch of games that just was sitting around the house. But, mm. um, but yeah, like, so there are some good people, but it seemed like that was mostly there, right? You talk of all yeah. your games journalists, like almost every one of them did their round in the early to mid-90s at a game store. And so I think that had a little bit to do with it. Mm. Uh, it was just a different time. It was a different trend. It was yeah, you were working yeah. at a specialty shop, right? You didn't work at a sex shop unless you really liked porn. <laughs> you didn't work at a game shop unless you really liked games, you know. So, but anyway. So, all right. <clears throat> well, I think I don't know. How do you want to do this? Do we want to do chronological? Do we not? Ooh, uh, I think I know I what think. MGS we're going to be playing. Anyway. <laughs> but I, I think we'll, we, we'll just sort of bounce around really you know um we'll, we can try we also have people who wrote in yeah um, yeah so so yeah okay well uh, and this one is probably the earliest one i can think of so if you don't yeah. mind jam i'm sorry to cut you off again i've been doing oh, that no, a no, lot no, in this it. episode i'll watch it but <laughs> um mike wrote in uh he wrote in july 9th so he was oh, wow. really good at coming yeah the mm. second he heard about it he wanted to write this in it's a little bit of a long email but it's a really good story and this dates back to like the late 80s early 90s so um but uh he says uh thanks for reading my email on the parasite eve show so it's a little dated uh, <laughs> since i brought up the topic <laughs> i thought i'd share my memories of the indie game stores. Uh, during the NES days, I would buy games from corporate stores that were no actual independent game retailers in Raleigh, North Carolina area at the time. This is much my experience as well, Jam, so we'll get into this next. Uh, the yep. closest thing we got was the flea market. Ah, oh, the flea market. Uh, yep. What do you guys call that. them? Boot? Car boot sales. Car <laughs> boot sales. I love, I love the British slang. Um, but uh, anyway, the closest thing we got was the flea market. With the impending launch of the SNES, I knew I needed some money, so I sold some of my NES games to a friend and went to the flea market to sell the rest. At the time, we had two flea markets. One was the fairgrounds, and the other was the flea market mall. I went to the flea market at the fairgrounds, but had no luck. Small booth, and they were not giving enough money to make it worth the trade. So I went to the flea market mall. In parentheses, he puts indoor flea market. Those are always the best ones because at least they've got like a fan on. Um, and found a small booth, bigger than the one before, and uh, a bigger than the one before, and much better all around. Systems were hooked to the showcase games of the NES, uh, to showcase games on the NES and the Genesis. The owner was great to deal with and gave me a good trade-in value. It was a positive experience and I became a loyal customer. Little did I know that would become the most infamous indie game shop in America. If you guessed buy right, that's R-I-T-E, you would be correct. In 1991, it was still a booth with Mark, parentheses, the owner, the one employee. He later expanded. This is the guy we're talking about. He later expanded and quadrupled the size of his booth to where he had the biggest booth at the flea market mall. He was also sold out of his house. Uh, he also sold out of his house, so if you could go there during the week, and you could go there during the weekend trade Monday through Friday, business was good. He would sell games at under the suggested retail price to get customers. He would make that money back on used games, trades, and Japanese imports. We'll talk about that as well. He says in parentheses, I spent a ton of Japanese, uh, uh, 
tons on the Japanese Super Famicom stuff at the time, including Street Fighter 2. Who didn't, sir? Uh, there was nowhere else to go to get a good trade in value. From 1991 to around 1995 or so, I would actually go to the house. He had a Doberman that would literally run to the door and hit you. Oh, no, that would hit, run up and hit the door after you rang the doorbell. He had a game room with a 50-inch projecting TV and surround sound system, top of the line for the time. Very cool seeing the SNES for the first time on that TV, F-Zero and Pilot Wing specifically. It was nice to have a SNES the day before launch and the day before starting high school. I also remember a friend of mine working for him at the time uh, who met me in a bank parking lot to make a lot of... Uh, a lot to make trades. For some reason, that didn't seem strange at the time. Well, I was a teenager. <laughs> Actually, I would argue with Craigslist. It's still yeah. not strange. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, everything was fine, despite my mom thinking he probably had a drug trade or something going on. It was clean transactions, and they were the same as in the store. It was convenient. Eventually, he was able to buy a brick-and-mortar location by around 1996 and phased out the flea market location. He was successful and briefly opened a second brick-and-mortar store in the mid-aughts or OOs, before the Better Business Bureau of North Carolina shut him down. Okay, here's where the infamous part comes in. By later in the 90s, he put up a website. My friend actually worked on this site and let me know what they were doing. In parentheses, he says, he also said it was crazy working there. They would take an order, whether they had the game or not, and bill the person. So you could order a game and pay for shipping and everything on your card and you would be billed but you would have no idea when you get your when you would get your product in parentheses this never happened to me i just went into the store in person although i did call and ask about a neo geo joypad around 2001 they said they had it and i went to the store 15 minutes later and they did not have it so i wasn't pleased uh with that uh, they would essentially just pre-bill everyone and send them the game they ordered whenever it happened to come in from Japan or even American products. Google buy right video games and see what you find. Many customers never got their products despite being billed. Anti-buy right websites sprouted on the net. By 1996-1997, GameStop EB started offering trades to a much better value. So I would only go to buy right to browse, in parentheses, awesome import section, for imports. The last system I got from BuyRight was a PlayStation in 1997. Raleigh did get some other cool stores and had some great deals and cool people that were better shopping experiences, but there's nothing quite as nuts as BuyRight. Okay, hoping you can use some of this on the late July show. Thank you. That is a crazy story. Yeah. <laughs> now I can't wait to go uh, do BuyRight. But... But yeah, um, that's an awesome story, Mike. Thank you very much. Uh, now, now I want to go Google it and find out. But uh, anyway, Jim. Um, so, I guess my question to you is: Did you do any sort of used gaming in the microcomputer days, or was it really just piracy? Uh, oh no, no, no. We we definitely you know, if it wasn't if it wasn't piracy, then it was it was definitely used gaming. I don't I don't think we ever brought a brand new Amstrad game ever. It was they were they were all used. And kind of like speaking to why we're here, saying certainly my earliest um, retail experiences with gaming were things like car boot sales or um, or marketplaces, I guess you'll call it around here. Uh, um, I distinctly remember some um, very very early on. I, I went with my grandfather of all people to. Um, he wasn't really a gamer. He he was just, but he was a huge fan of like you know market stalls and car boot sales and stuff like that. Which mm -hmm. is probably why I'm kind of into that sort of stuff to this day. Um, so I he would literally he would literally like come and kidnap me from my parents and take me to these places. I think he just wanted an excuse to go with somebody. So, but, and, um, <laughs> 
and they, there was only when the place we went to it was literally it was the it was an abandoned airfield of all places um but obviously that's the perfect place to have these sort of play you know these sort of marketplaces so you got you can have tons of stalls on this big sort of strip basically um and there was only one game stall there um of all things back in the day it wasn't that popular in the uk and i don't i mean some people have said to me that there were some areas in um, england or probably even scotland if andy's listening still that were a bit more popular for gaming but um, at least over here, there wasn't many, a lot of people selling used games, but there was this one guy on a market store that was selling, um, yep, he's selling the tapes, selling the floppy disks, um, you know, uh, this obviously the age I was back then, they were, he was selling Mega, used Mega Drive games, and um, and this was kind of pretty cool for me, and um, yeah, and um, we... We got a few. We got a few um, used Amstrad games from this guy. Um, mostly floppy disk versions, but but yeah, you know, he'd literally. You just literally have like you know those um, floppy disk holders, Fred. You know, you remember those, the ones where you kept your yep. used disk in. He'd literally. Yeah, have, they were kind of like uh, they were kind of like the Nintendo sleeves, but yeah. for thin floppy disks. Back yeah. when disks were actually floppy. He would literally have like rows and rows of those, so you could just like diddly fr- diddle through these floppy disks. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying that just yeah. sounds <laughs> sounds mildly sexual and inappropriate. <laughs> but and, and he was selling them because I should also point out as well that I think we've said this before, but um, microcomputer games were pretty cheap around here. You know, these expression games were sold for as little as three pound uh, in this country. See, we did we tried doing that with our Atari, and we had a yeah. fucking video game crash. <laughs> that's my point yeah like the atari that you know that 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 was counter to uh what we saw elsewhere it was only in america mm. that flooding the market was um what was the problem you know mm. Not to go kind of off topic, but I think that what what kind of really happened over here is um, obviously it didn't kill the video game industry in, in, in this in this area or in Europe. It, it sort of it grew, but I think the companies that were just doing shovelware just died off, and it was just the, it was just the companies individually that suffered, not the actual gaming industry. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah. But going back to sort of this um, the. Um, yeah, but we 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 got we got we picked a few, some of the games that I could mention quick. But I wrote them down was for games like Golden Axe, which we featured on the um, soundtrack episode. And that game was fantastic. I was actually um, reading some memories of that today. Actually, Fred, um, uh, the original Golden Axe on Amstrad is so good. I love it. It's uh, <laughs> but uh, we but we got that from there. Just a lot of these were just discs only. We I really I really wish I had some of those original Amstrad boxes because they were just gorgeous. They were just like they were like they weren't like the big PC boxes. They were kind of like. I guess you'd call like medium size. They're almost like just big enough to hold a floppy disk, but they had like a nice manual and everything. And uh, they're, they're really hard to get hold of, even in this, this country, because only the hardcore collectors will go after those. Um, other games, of course, was Bad... Was it... Oh, um, I keep forgetting the name of this. Bad Dudes versus... Um, was it Dragon Ninja. That's it, Dragon Ninja, that's it. <laughs> we, only know, we only know it as Bad Dudes in America. It's the weirdest yeah. thing. Um, bad dudes, yeah. By the way, uh, I wanted to mention on a recent episode, um, Retronauts just did with Shane Bettenhausen, like a celebration of the 20th anniversary of the PlayStation, which is funny because that's in this September. And so we're going to do potentially a show or an extra credit or something because we've already done the origins of the PlayStation. But it was funny that I, you can tell they were intending to release that in September and then just released it now. But I heard the most interesting way to refer to cart only versus complete, which was um, with box with or without box and docs, D-O-C-S. Mm. 
Shane Bettenhausen referred to it as he goes, oh yeah, you're going to pay a lot more if you want box and docks. And I said, that's a really cool way to refer to it. I don't know why that, but I was very smitten by that. But anyway. Oh, I love that term. <laughs> yeah. So now you can use that, man. Box and docks. Uh, yeah, you, you heard it here. It's from Shane Bettenhausen, but uh, we'll, we'll spread the word. But uh, anyway, so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it would have been so magical um, having microcomputer gaming. We had one guy yeah. who was shady as fuck <laughs> that I'm fairly certain was my dad's drug dealer. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Before you guys think this is like troubled home bullshit like that, feel what you want about what I'm about to say, but my father recreationally on the weekend smoked pot. I think a lot of people in and out of this country do that it's actually slowly becoming legal whatever he never like got stoned and didn't pay attention to me or anything like that or or whatnot but he just liked to get stoned so he had a drug dealer he had a guy who was a nice guy who just come around the house and drop off a bag of weed and you know when fucking saturday night live was on he'd just you know (laughs) blow some bongs and you know my dad would just tell me it was a cigarette anyway so but this guy also came around and he had what would be the equivalent to the CD binder of like burned discs that you oft heard about um, in the 360 era. They were also in the PlayStation era, but they came back in the DVD 360 era once you started JTAGging and modding those consoles. But, uh, and he'd just open it up and it'd be a bunch of uh, audio cassette tapes and floppy disks for the Commodore 64. You know, and it was always, like, makeshift, right? It was always just yeah, a yeah. blank disc with, like, a really shitty, like, Office Max label on yeah. it where he had written <laughs> in terrible pirate. handwriting, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like, Ghostbusters, you know? <laughs> and he'd sell them for, I think he wanted $5 a cassette, $3 a disc. Or maybe yeah. it was the other way around. Whichever was cheaper, you know what I mean? Yeah. And my dad would buy these games from him because, I mean, you know, I guess it was pretty easy to... To burn those, you just need the hardware for it, right? Mm-hmm. And cassettes, you just need a lot of fucking free time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because serial adapters from a, a computer to a, a cassette was, was not hard to do, and you could just record them. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I remember that. And that was probably my, my earliest experience. But, uh, but man, the fucking... Uh, just imagining you guys i mean you guys didn't just have one man you had the bbc you had the amstrad you had the Mm. commodore you had the later on the commodore amiga and then you guys had uh of course the zx spectrum don't want to undervalue the zx spectrum and that's on top of where i saw the most um piracy for in terms of discs sounds like it weren't those more like expensive games too weren't they like 30 pound a piece or something yeah i i rarely saw a brand new amiga game (laughs) very very rarely um Fortingard's talking about in Russia the Russian bootlegs were much better and had actual oh, really? disc art. That's crazy. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. But ever and it's hilarious because the chat's talking about all having like the big black binder. <laughs> Your piracy binder. It was ingrained in late eighties. <laughs> in fact, fuck it. It's been ingrained in all non cartridge based video game consoles. Let's face it. <laughs> but um Nice. So you guys did have used game stores that early. Yeah, well, we we did. Yeah, we well we did. Yeah, we did have used game stores early. Oh, they're all mostly independent shops as well. Which is my, even better. Yeah. Mm, 
that my well probably the first um, sort of retail experience that wasn't at some sort of dodgy market <laughs> was uh, <laughs> was um, um, at my other grandparents' place, which is on the Isle of Wight, uh, which I think I've discussed before, which is where we used to rent the SNES console. Um, but that wasn't yeah. just a news agent, just somewhere where they sold you your paper in the morning and you, you know your cigarettes and your bubble gum or whatever. You oh, wanted. we we referred to those as uh, newsstands or convenience yeah. stores. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I I don't mean to be a dick about that stuff. I just sometimes I have to like figure out the slang myself. So that's just oh, no, that's me right. helping myself out. Anyway, news agent. I just I love the slang. <laughs> I need to go to Europe and just immerse myself in the slang of of Britain. Mm. <laughs> but anyway. It's called, it's called a lift, not an elevator. <laughs> no, that one I'm not going to give you guys. <laughs> I'm also not checking under the bonnet. Fuck that. <laughs> the boot. <laughs> the boot. Yeah, what the hell is that? Uh, but Saiwan um, says, I remember getting a shitload of pirated discs. He says shitload, actually. That's yeah. another thing you guys That's do. That's nothing we say. <laughs> um, of pirated discs from the Pommy Pirates, the Medway Boys for the Atari oh, ST. <laughs> <laughs> really? Are these Were these like piracy groups or something? It's yeah, kind of like... You know, like apparently, if you buy, like when I buy, when I burned my Shenmue Two on the Dreamcast, when you boot it up in the Sega logo that's normally there, there's a little box at the bottom that says like "Created by," you know, "Fuck You Industries" or something. You know, all these weird things. Mm. And we've got to Commander C sixty four. See, everybody had them, man. But <laughs> um, nobody's no, no, giving any spectrum love for them, which is a shame. Never mind. <laughs> nobody pirated for the BBC Micro because nobody had one. They were just in schools. <laughs> Heck, you didn't have to mod your PS1. You just had to know the swap trick. <laughs> you put a pencil eraser over the lid cover thing. You taped it down. And then you just waited till the disc spun once. Then it would slow down. Then it would spin a second time. Then you'd quickly pull it and slam a new disc in as fast as you could. And if you got it, you'd be good. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, it's not good for you. You could burn out your your spinning disc thing. But you can try it now. I mean, a PlayStation 1 is pretty easy to come by. But um, Okay, so what era are we at with this this place? You said you used to rent a Nintendo? Uh, yeah, we, that's when we rented a SNES. So it would have been... Oh, a SNES. Well, yeah, this is the Super Nintendo, yeah. Okay. Um, so this would have been, you know... Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to dive it in between then real quick. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It kind of same story as yours. Didn't really have... Uh, Toys R Us was where I would get a lot of my games or KB Toys. They were... Uh, did you guys have KB over in Europe? I don't think we did. We had Toys okay. R Us over here. Okay. Toys R Us was... They were the ones who handled it like guns, right? There was the big yeah. cage in the back, and you grabbed the sleeves. You didn't really get to see the boxes. KB Toys was a different place. It was really packed in a mall. And what they do, basically, was they would lock all the games behind the front counter. And so all that counter space that used to be completely wasted, they now loaded up with games. Uh, and what I liked about them was they handled it very much like a video game or like a movie store. Mm. where when shit didn't sell they just drop it and sell it you know yeah so you'd always have a big bin or whatnot <laughs> yeah we, we know, did have that too <laughs> to get this the fuck out of here bin and this was back in the days of the orange sticker you know the orange price sticker mm -hmm. um but the place i remember that to get back on topic that was a, a crazy brick and mortar store was uh and i don't know if this was the name of it but it was called like Greenview or Grandview or something, and I could tell you guys where it was. It was in Camdenton, Missouri, <laughs> Missouri, <laughs> in the Lake of the Ozarks. My grandmother has always lived around here. She is now unfortunately passed, but um, but I used to go visit her and my grandfather, who is still alive. 
And they lived at this lake. If you've ever vacationed in Missouri, they'll talk about the Lake of the Ozarks. It's one of the one of the big places uh, that you can go uh, hang out, other than Branson, which has a bunch of like old show tunes people. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Oh, sorry. Am I am I cutting jam off? I don't know if I'm cutting right? you off. I hope I'm not. He said he was right. kidding. But uh, anyway. <laughs> um, but uh oh wait it was because i i interrupted your your snes thing uh but uh anyway um and my grandmother used to just you know i would go visit her for the summer and it was it was again it was a lake spot so she lived on a lake and everything but you know we were killing time and she still worked my grandfather was retired but she worked in real estate my grandfather is one of those americans who like retired from a factory at like 50 he retired super early um and uh, what they would do, what she would do to kill time, because my grandfather didn't always want to, you know, like he didn't know how to entertain me, was let me go rent movies and then later on Nintendo games. So she'd buy a Nintendo and, you know, this started the trend I'm sure most of us are familiar with in America, which was um, uh, everything was a Nintendo. Even when you had a Genesis, it was the Nintendo. Um, but, uh, and what this place would do is they would rent you games and they had all kinds of games jam like and it was run by this crazy older woman named betty who smoked cigarettes <laughs> in the store wow okay yeah yeah and it looks like your typical 80s uh video store with like big oak wooden bookshelves that are like seven feet tall like you couldn't look up and see everything and had a bunch of VHS tapes and Nintendo boxes were roughly the same. And so the Nintendo boxes were literally out on the shelf, like with the game in them and everything. They just hmm. stuff them in there. Um, and uh, Betty was friends with my grandmother and took a liking to me. And I'll never forget. She always liked to exhale her smoke in my face, like not on purpose. She didn't blow it at yeah, me, yeah, yeah. but she would do that thing where she'd like huff it. And then she'd talk to you and she'd kind of breathe smoke like a dragon. And it'd just be like getting up in your face. <laughs> but, uh, and I'll, I'll always remember in the corner, there was a jungle hunt arcade game, which is probably why I have an affinity towards jungle hunt, uh, from, uh, the Tecmo, uh, collection. But, um, but she would start giving me games as they were no longer popular, um, you know, as they were kind of wearing out their welcome. So I guess it wasn't really a, a mom and pop shop in as much as this was a place where I would get free games all the time. And I'll, I'll, I can remember the first few I got. The first game she ever gave me was Gradius. Mm. Yeah, Nemesis. Um, by Konami. And that probably started my long life love of shmups. Um mm-hmm. The second one that she gave me was Kung Fu. And the third one was Double Dragon. Beyond that, I can't remember exactly what she gave me. Most expensive game she ever gave me was near the end when they were starting to stop do stop doing video games or they switched over to Genesis or whatever. They got rid of the NESs. She gave me Mighty Final Fight. And I wow. ended up uh, not appreciating that and, uh, and trading it in for probably like 10 bucks at Funko Land of all places. But anyway... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, oh, what's up, Sparky? Welcome to join me. And Heck says Crazy Betty. Yeah, it was Crazy Betty. I'm telling you what. Oh, the other two I remember was Mickey Mouse Capades and Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. Fuck, I can't remember which Bugs Bunny it was. But it was the one with the white label <laughs> on the NES. But anyway, so, um, 
And to Commander says, uh, "Do you guys have? Uh, did you guys have Acme Video? It was back in the VHS, VHS age. Rented NES games and had arcade games to play. That's fucking fantastic. So no, I didn't. Um, but uh, but that sounds very similar to this kind of place. I think they all kind of." similarly did that you know it was just another place like porn like to be honest video cassette rental places around here like porn like they'd integrate porn to make more money and right because the videotapes there was no money in paying a hundred dollars for vhs of ghostbusters and having to rent it out like 150 times before you got your money back but a nintendo game was 40 bucks and you charged five dollars a fucking night you know and porn was like five dollars a night because it was porn and so you know that's video stores paid their way on porn and video games <laughs> it's probably still somewhat true but uh anyway um who rents porn <laughs> people rented porn in the vhs time all the time sir I remember uh, I family. I was as well. <laughs> yeah, I remember family video before all their porn sections became pizza shops. Um, yeah, that, I remember being eighteen and running back there, and DVDs were out. Man, they were they were hip, but you didn't buy por- You didn't rent or buy porn on DVDs. You bought it on VHS <laughs> tapes. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, back. big old VHS tapes. So anyway, <laughs> but uh, but uh, all right. Um, and no, Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny, fuck. Not sure that's a kid's game. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize I'd done that. Okay, uh, crazy Castle, yes. Bugs Bunny's Crazy Castle, he's right. Um, but all right, Jam, now that I've kept everyone in suspense, tell us all about your uh, your experience. Well, it's quite similar to yours, except I didn't have Crazy Bessie. I, I wish I had someone crazy that was surfing us, uh, me and my brother <laughs> when we went there. But um, basically, like I said, it was, it was this, the front of the store was basically just the you know, the newsstand store or the news agent, as we call it over here. But the back was literally shelves and shelves of boxes of um, SNES games and Mega Drive games wow. as well. Um, wow. Just they didn't have the carts in them, but you could literally, you basically the way it works, you picked up the box and you took it to the counter and they gave you the cart, but not the box, which I thought was quite interesting. They kept the box. <laughs> Give us the, the box back. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a swap. It's almost like a swapsy kind of thing. It's like, oh, yeah, because they put the box behind the counter. They knew they had gone off the shelf and then they gave you the cart for this like big sort of, I don't, it's, it's weird box that they kept all these carts in. I don't know. It's like a shoe box or something. And they literally like, have to like, go through them with that. Like I was saying earlier, diddling through this, all these carts. But, um, what are you doing but, to those carts? And um, since you were naming off some games that you rented, um, I think so. some of the games that me and my brother rented, uh, the, one of the first ones was the uh, original Donkey Kong game, uh, Donkey Kong Country. For, um, Super Nintendo. Oh, I was going to say there were other original Donkey Kong games. Of course, um, yeah. But uh, um, as well as that, we got Putty Squad, <laughs> which I don't know what it was. Putty Squad. Okay, so that came out on the PS4 in America. Did you know that? Yeah, it came out over here as well on the PS4 and Vita as well. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I played I mean, the SNES version though on a video recently uh, hmm. from from PAL territories, yours. But it's anyway. not terrible but it wasn't i don't remember it being particularly great back then and i and i heard that this um, version was not very good yeah nah it's uh it's an okay game <laughs> one but. of the more obscure games we rented was um i didn't even know i completely forgot about this game was itchy and scratchy for the super nintendo yeah the simpsons <laughs> which is the weirdest thing i played for, for, for a long time <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, Itchy and Scratchy was an absolutely terrible game, but for <laughs> some reason I liked it. Uh, I know, yes, that's what I was thinking. The only good Simpsons game is Bart Night- Bart's Nightmare, right? Are no, we all in agreement here? Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway. <laughs> Would Bugs Bunny fuck be marketed to furries? <laughs> Possibly. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, um, Voss says I beat the PS4 version of Putty Squad. Not good. <laughs> well, not yeah. good beating it or not good playing it. Yeah. Probably both. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. The the 16-bit era was where things got a little more interesting. Yeah. Um, to me, uh, first of all, yeah, renting consoles became a thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I had a Genesis pretty early on. I bought a Genesis in '91. Mm-hmm. So I had it pretty early on. I got a Turbo Graphics early on. There were just no fucking games for it. Um, but there were lots of crazy rental consoles and whatnot. Um, and Jam, if you don't mind, this is where I think we should bring in Blockbuster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So Blockbuster Video was the craziest one of them all. Now, I don't know how it was in Europe, but in America, you could rent almost anything you just had to get this huge bulletproof briefcase and leave them like a massive deposit on your credit card mm. did you guys have to do this did you ever rent a I, console from blockbuster I, we never rented the console from blockbuster but i've got some we definitely rented games from them absolutely we'd have to give them a credit card we just had a card we just had a blockbuster card right it, that worked for the games but when yeah. you rented a console you mm. had to, they charged your credit card three hundred dollars for a SNES and Genesis, it was $400 for a Virtual Boy, Panasonic 3DO. I did just say Panasonic 3DO. Uh, I also said Virtual Boy. Um, and it was uh, 350 for a Sega CD. They did rent out the CD. No, you didn't get the Sega Genesis console separately, so you had to either have one or the other. Um, and I think it was 400 for the Sega CD 32X combo. You could rent them as a combo. Now, that's what they put on your credit card as a hold in case you damage it. Mm-hmm. What you got in return was actually a pretty good deal. I think it was $20 for a weekend or for two. It was two nights. So yeah. if you rented it, so most people would get it on the weekend. If you rented it, rented it on Friday, you would be due Sunday by midnight, right? And Blockbuster always had by midnight, which was always the cool thing. So you could play it most of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you did get one or two games with it, like rental for free. Yeah. So, um, and I do remember the 3DO was the one my mom would never let me rent. She let me do it for my birthday once because they took $800 on your credit card. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you got it all back. But it was just a high risk. Like, what if all of a sudden I'm like, I spilled a Coke on it. <laughs> so she did let me rent it once for my birthday. Uh, I did get to rent the Panasonic 3DO, and I got Jurassic Park Interactive and Night Trap with it. Night Trap I'd already played, so I knew I'd like it. Uh, Jurassic Park Interactive, well, you'll get to see it when it comes up on the uh, <laughs> on the Cron Gaming, but uh, not so hot. Um but yeah, I always remember that the the time of renting consoles. It was the weirdest thing. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, now, did you buy from any uh, used mom and pop stores at this time? Let's try and yeah. For SNES or Genesis. Well, yeah, definitely for Genesis. Yeah, absolutely. 
We okay. had like an independent. We had an independent store um, in a. It's like it was actually. A, this is what was kind of crazy for us because uh, where we lived, um, the nearest game store was two kind of two towns over from where we lived. Um, so we did have to, we actually travel quite far to get our used games. <laughs> um, so the we had an independent store which I can't for life remember, but I remember they 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 started out as independent and they got absorbed into EB Games and then they got changed into Game, which is the same store that stands there to this day. Um, right. Interesting. Um, even though I don't live in that area anymore, that was you know this is years ago. But when I go back to visit I'm sort of you know family and stuff, you know when you walk past, you think oh yeah, it's still there. Um, but the um, yeah, we, we purchased um, our used Mega Drive games from that store. Um, some sort of notable examples were games like Sunset Riders, which was a... Yeah, a Konami gem. Yeah, it was a Konami... I mean, it's obviously better on the Super Nintendo, but we only had a, we only owned a Mega Drive. No, um, it was not, sir. The Genesis version is better. Really? You, you no, so? probably not. But I, my is brain only cannot players, wrap only, its head around it. Only two characters on the Genesis version. Um, Could you do four, four on the SNES? Well, you can play four simultaneously, but you can choose four, all four characters from the arcade version. Uh, okay. I, I think the Genesis versions, it, they're both fine, in my opinion. But, you know, it's, it's one of those weird debates, isn't it, where both are completely serviceable, but people will have their, you know, their preference. I just felt it ran smoother. I don't know. Everything kind of seemed to yeah. run a little bit smoother on the Genesis, but it was always a lot muddier. <laughs> both are crazy expensive to find now <laughs> so yes yeah in fact all those konami multi-console things turtles in time which was known as the manhattan project yeah. or no uh, not manhattan project the hyperstone heist <laughs> yeah. on the genesis mega drive super rare pretty expensive mm -hmm. uh, we should also point out while we're on this subject yeah People were criticizing it, but I don't think they've been buying a lot of retro games lately. GameStop, surprisingly, not too bad on their pricing I, for I retro have, games. I would have agreed. Yeah, I don't think that's compared to over here with retro game prices, that's not yeah, bad. Yeah, like, like current GameStop retro gaming prices are pretty good. What they'll give you in return, not good. But if you mm -hmm. just need to buy it outright, Parasite yeah. Eve, complete in box, $18.99, that's not too shabby. That's all right. um, and then that's the reason I thought about it because they had Hyperstone Heist for like 50 bucks and people were like, oh my God, I can't believe that. I was like, motherfucker, at the Midwest Gaming Classic, people were fetching 100 bucks on those. Like, no, that's a, that's a good deal. You get a guarantee on these games, don't you as well? So, I believe if yeah. they don't work, um, I've never actually tried it and that is very mm -hmm. worthwhile when you're paying like, like I think I would buy from GameStop uh, with that guarantee if I'm buying yeah. like, like Final Fantasy's two and three which are four and six mm. those are like 50 60 bucks a piece that's not too shabby and if you know they'll cover the save game to make sure it saves that's yeah. pretty good secret of mana's in the same boat but it's a little more expensive and of course chrono trigger is going to run you like 80 bucks but <laughs> if you know it saves i mean that's what matters mm. might not save next week but <laughs> as long as it does right out of the box mm. but um <clears throat> Yeah, and that's what I was... They're kind of talking about it in chat. Blockbuster and Funko Land were pretty much my place to buy used Genesis and Mega Drive... Or Genesis and SNES games from this era. Mm. Um, I remember buying my cousin Final Fight Guy from Blockbuster. Do you know about Final Fight Guy? 
I, this one I'm obviously, I remember Mighty Final Fight, but Final Fight Guy, is that? Yeah, it's weird. And it might have been an, a US exclusive. It might not have come out in PAL territories. But are you familiar, Jam, and you might not be, with the fact that Final Fight in on the SNES has only Cody and Hagger? They don't put Guy yeah, in Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about that, yeah. Well, in Japan, they released Final Fight Guy. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I remember this, yeah. Which was just <laughs> Final Fight, but you could only be Guy. It didn't even have two-player. Um and uh oh, <laughs> yeah and, and they released it as a blockbuster exclusive and i picked it up you know like when they were done with it they would sell it and i picked yeah, it yeah. up cool. and the reason why was my i play as guy that's my go-to on final fight i love guy i know everybody wants hagger but i wanted guy i thought he was the best his jump kick is the shit um and that's why this Sega CD version is always better because it's got guy in it. Uh, but uh, and and apparently that game is worth like some money now. Uh, oh, really? I don't know. My cousin might still have it in her collection. Uh, she's married now and hasn't touched video games in forever, but she still has her SNES collection. But uh, yeah, I remember. I remember. Yeah, <laughs> Voss Final Fight with guy in it. Kind of silly. Yeah, I mean that's, <laughs> that's what it is. It was just yeah, everybody was like, "Where's guy?" So they were like, "Fine, fuck you. Here's guy." <laughs> you know? Here he is. Yeah. So, um, and it was funny to see him side by side on a shelf. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think what's significant, and we're going to do another story from a different listener and then we'll move on. But this is where right now used gaming is pretty safe. I don't know about you, Jim. Um, you could either buy a cleaning kit or you kind of knew how to clean cartridges. Did you clean up cartridges when you would buy them? I'm not talking about cosmetically. I'm talking about like how to make yeah, them pol- work polish them up, yeah. yeah i don't mean like putting gasoline on stickers and stuff to get the stickiness off get i mean when i w- yeah exactly i mean when i would buy a game from blockbuster i would go home and i had this whole setup there were the cleaning kits which i never bought into i, didn't I think i got I, I think i got one as a gift and i was like these this is too expensive it wastes too much time yeah. but i would just take q-tips and isopropyl alcohol that's exactly why. And I did. wipe yes. them. Right, right. And you just wipe the contacts and make sure they work. But that was about the gist of buying cartridge based stuff, right? Cartridges were pretty safe, even if the cartridges were fucked up. Like, I don't know about you. Did you ever crack a cartridge or buy one that was cracked and it worked just fine? And you were like, oh, I guess yep. this works. I, I still own some cartridges. That, uh, I think my uh, Mutant League football game is like got a big crack right down the, down the middle of it and it still works. Yeah. Um,. But, uh, but yeah, like, uh, the commander says final fight guy was like DLC old school. Yeah, actually (laughs) it was. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, like, uh, like carts were pretty safe to buy, right? You never really worried about them. In fact, that's a good rule of thumb now, right? Like, even if there's shit on it, you just go, it's just shit and you can get it off, you know, like, uh, you know, um, carts are safe. What will happen next, which will, you know, again, we'll use this listener mail as the interim, uh, will be discs. Discs are a lot more fragile, especially your Saturn PlayStation discs. Uh, Actually, I don't want to devalue the Saturn, especially your PlayStation discs. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Things become a little more scary. Uh, For some reason, I feel that Sega CD discs, and I I, I bought a Sega CD once it was out of print, so there wasn't a whole lot of used purchasing. Um, Maybe Actually, I bought some at Funko Land, but never anywhere else, uh, and mostly bought them new on clearance because they were all clearancing out. But Sega CD discs seem to be pretty strong, and my only guess is... They printed them like true music CDs. Mm. 
Whereas, I don't know about you, but I think PlayStation really, when they streamlined that, they didn't, they, they made pretty fragile CDs. Well, I, I thought PlayStation that for the Dreamcast, CDs. really, they, those are pretty fragile. Oh, the GD-ROM? Yeah, because all it is is a... You know what that is? That's an overburned CD-ROM. It's just yeah. a CD-ROM with a 100-minute capacity or 1.2 gigs instead of um, the 800 or 700 mag, you know, 80-minute ones. Mm. So, but... Uh, and it's not really a CD-R extended. It, it is its own proprietary format, but it was just a way to fit a gig on a thing. But... Um, but uh, but yeah, so um, we'll we'll talk about that and the joys of buying disc-based stuff in a second. But I don't know. You tell me, Jim. I feel like any Sega CD game I find, though, or even to a certain extent, 3DO game, like, and I'm betting CDI is going to be the same way. I mean, they're pretty tough. Even if they're scratched up, you just resurface them and you're pretty good. Okay. Hmm. Um, but uh, all right, here we go. So our next one, I believe, is yeah. from Psy1. It is. So Psy1 writes in. Morning, Fred and Jam. Ah, the old mom and pop stores. Harking back to the golden yesteryears of gaming. These stores were the staple for my gaming education and know-how. Whereas these days, with the likes of JB Hi-Fi, a bit like your Best Buy over in the US, EB Games and so on, where you walk in, pick your poison, pay and leave, the mom and pop stores offered something a bit different, where they would have the odd exotic import in and would be a source of wisdom and insight to what's hot and what's not. I remember the one in the indoor market at, wow, Bexley Heath, B-E-X-L-E-Y-H-E-A-T-H, Bexley okay. Heath, okay, oh, I, I was expecting you to tell me that, but <laughs> where I first got my hands on a PC engine, which is a turbo graphics, as well as stocking mm -hmm. lots uh, on US, NES, and SNES games, and my old mate's shop on Gantz Hill, which had a tasty gray import selection, not to mention a couple of arcade cabs, as well as your standard European oh, wow. selection, and a good chunk of my Saturdays were spent there. The indecent shops of the 90s and early 2000s have since long gone, in parentheses, well, in my neck of the woods anyway, at least, uh, though the memories still live on. Regards, Psy1. Yeah, I mean, again, we kind of talked about it, but uh, yeah, uh, most of the mom and pop shops I'll talk about from now on are avid fans you know what i mean <laughs> so but uh all right jam so playstation era mm -hmm. cd era n64 i guess era yeah. um did you do a lot of used game shopping oh definitely for this for this era this is you know pretty much you know, going forward is you know yeah tons of um used game shopping it's ingrained um, for the PlayStation era and probably going into PS2 era, I there was an independent store um, at the kind of like at the the secondary school I went to, aka high school that I went to at the time. Um, the there's there an independent store called Vision Games that was at the kind of like the bottom of this massive hill. Um, this is when um, sort of you know EB Games. I, I think they had just been absorbed by Game actually, so they had cut, they were starting to surface as well. Um, but this store was one of the sort of you know something a bit different it's one of those where the workers are very very passionate and they were they sold a lot of used stuff but for very reasonable prices compared to the other stores um mm -hmm. and this is where i did uh yeah d definitely did a lot of um uh buying of the used playstation variety i didn't have a saturn obviously back then but i did we we did have a playstation one uh which my older brother got and um kind of like got handed down to me when he went off to university <laughs> so um 
<laughs> which was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I didn't have that. But uh, yeah, but, but but um, quite. I mean, God, I, I couldn't even begin to name off the games that I got from YouTube from that from this place. I, I got so many games. Um, in, but uh, but you know, the, the when you I, mean, I just want to kind of touch on that the scratch disc thing. That was the this is this is the bit where because originally we didn't obviously check because we weren't used to CDs at this point for gaming. We just thought, oh yeah, you just buy the game and it works because that's what we used to have cartridges because <laughs> right. we're young and stupid and we're like yeah that's how it works and then <laughs> this is the first time we're like hang on a second this game doesn't work and i'm you know i'm trying cleaning it and everything and do what you can you can't blow on cds <laughs> like how cartridges <laughs> so right because that's what we did back then when we get <laughs> with things but um so this is when you had to start doing the old, good old checking the disc thing. <laughs> and, this, and this sometimes worked in some stores and sometimes it didn't. You'd get some store, especially Game, they really hated it when I used to say to him, can I have a look at the disc before you Can I see the disc, please? I know, yeah. Oh, fuck you, kid. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was the response. And they, they now, I don't know if you know, I don't know if they do that in GameStop over there, Fred, but if you buy used Game and Game over here, they put a little seal across the thing so you can't check the disc before you buy it. Which is really stupid. <laughs> we have this terrible thing that I kind of talked about in GameStop where, uh, and I don't know if you guys do the same thing, but mm. basically let's say they get a new game in. Let's say Oni Chambara wasn't some big collector's edition. Godzilla, okay? Godzilla came in a regular PS4 case. Yeah. And they'll usually get two copies, maybe only one. And they will immediately break the seal around that copy and sell it as new for fifty nine ninety nine. Mm-hmm. But they will take out this little, and I think this is exactly what you're talking about, this little, like, circular sticker. And when they put the used game that everyone in that store has passed around, like a $2 hooker or, like, the slutty girl in high school, <laughs> they yeah. stick it in the case and stick that sticker on there, and that means it's new if you don't open it. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. As far as used goes, no, they don't do that. In fact, I am that guy at GameStop. And but at this point they kind of know me where yeah. I go. All right guys, you know the drill. It's got to have instructions. I don't want a bunch of fucking stickers yeah, all yeah. over it. Give me, you know, stickers. So usually what happens is when the guy sees me come in and I'm like, "Hey, I'm looking for this game." I don't even grab the ones off the shelf usually because usually their roughest copy is the one on the shelf. Um, and I just say, "How many copies do you have of like Modern Warfare?" And they bring out 17 copies and they're like, "Just <laughs> rifle through there, tell us which one you want." And of course, the disc is never the same thing, right? They've just got a yeah. big collection of those which which is why they do hate me for, let's say I buy a greatest hits collection of Fallout 3. Mm -hmm. I'm going to want the greatest hits disc of Fallout 3, not the non-greatest hits. Yeah. I'm and they're like, why do you care about that? I said, I need uniformity. It needs to look like I bought a complete yeah. collection. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, uh, we'll, oh, there we go. Okay, Voss, I'm so sorry. They were talking about SSBB or SSB, and I had no idea what it was, and he thought I was trolling. No, I just don't know SSB as Super Smash Brothers. I'm sorry. You guys are talking about uh, <laughs> passed around. I'm sure feminists love you. Hey, <laughs> dudes can be passed around too. You and I both know this. Like, it doesn't matter who. I'm just talking about a slut. It doesn't matter what that slut's sex is. Um, but uh, so actually, everybody hates me for that that one right there. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, so uh, so so yeah, I'm a big pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> oh no, no, but yeah, but it's you know, you want you want to get you want you want to make sure you're getting what you pay for, really. Um, we have a um, because Taiwan's mentioned this store as well. We have a, yeah. a, a store over here called CEX that uh, they're they're basically all they are. Is so it's used. really called Sex. It is. It is actually called Sex, right? <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. It's and the, I have to actually. Do they make any puns? Yeah, they, they do. Yes, okay. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. They just because uh, they 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 do um, they do have fun with their advertising with this, um, and especially in the early days. I think I think they had to tone it down a bit because um, they were sort of using puns like "yo come come for sex" or something, and you know, but and <laughs> I don't know, but, but they, they're being a bit they're being a bit more fan well, are trying to be a bit more friendly, but but they're very much they use stuff only. That's all they do at this store, um, but it's a good and a bad. The only the bad with them is that um, they generally will just fling in whatever disc they find because basically they just have the boxes out on the shelves and then they have the discs and it'll be a mix. Some of them might have manuals, some of them won't. And then they're literally just throwing them in the boxes and scanning them through and you're, and you're kind of like stopping them saying, no, whoa, 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 well, you know, I want, I, you know, there's no manual that I don't want it. <laughs> so you're, you're being that guy. And they're like going, oh, but the disc is here. <laughs> I don't know. But so that's the problem <laughs> I tend to have at that store. I don't know if Saiwan has that problem as well, but he, he, he mentioned that there's one in, um, in Portland. Saiwan, um, do you have any problems with sex? Sorry, I've been waiting to make that joke. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah. Um, well, it, it, the reason uh, it's weird, uh, Jam, because uh, of all things, there was a used computer store that opened up in the mid 90s. Mm hmm. Sold floppy disks, but these are your now your 3.25 floppy disks, the really hard opposite of floppy disks, um, and CD-ROM based gaming, and they sold them all used, and you had a seven day return policy on everything, um, which means uh, like uh, like if you didn't like anything, you could return it. You'd only get store credit back. So I think GameStop used to do this. I don't think they do it really anymore. But um, basically, if you didn't like a game, you could come back. Nowadays, it's like if it doesn't work, they'll give you a new one. But mm. it used to be if you didn't like a game, you could come back, swap it out for something you did like. Uh, this guy did that all the time. And I really liked it because PC gaming in the mid-90s when the CD-ROM generation hit, uh, which again, I'll get into a little bit more in the Cron stuff, uh, was real hit or miss. You know, sometimes you got King's Quest Six, and sometimes you got, I don't know, Frankenstein oh my god Tim it's a Tim Curry oh it's a terrible game anyway um and so this was a time where I got really into used PC gaming and uh, the guy who ran it was really awesome and he got me into a bunch of things I'd never heard of like uh, like uh before there was mist there was something called like down the rabbit hole or something it's kind of like a hyper card stack like mist but it's based off of Alice in Wonderland um, he's also the one who introduced me to American McGee's Alice, which is still one of my favorite game worlds. I don't know if I feel so much about the game itself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm too huge on American McGee's Alice, but I'm fascinated with the world that it creates, the aesthetics of the whole thing. Um, he introduced me to Phantasmagoria. Yeah, which I did play when I was young. When I went and saw him, I was playing Command and Conquer, Warcraft One, and Duke Nukem. And while those were good and all, he wanted to show me, like, what 
strong games could be. You know what I mean? So, um, and again, it's it's all kind of elitist in hindsight, but <laughs> but it was cool. Um, he's also the one who introduced me to Wing Commander, Wing Commander Three specifically. So that was a cool game, but uh, but I didn't really get into used gaming uh, like mom and pop shops until later. So wow. But anyway, um, but uh, anyway, uh, um, I don't know. Do you have any other ones that? Uh, well, for used games, or just any sort of brick and mortar stores that are around now, or or not now. I mean, yes. uh, th- just continuing in your chronology because I don't have any really to talk about until um, uh, probably like the three hundred and sixty era, which is. This uh, in in America, at least around here, there has been this crazy pop up in the Midwest of new um, mom and pop shops, yeah. brick and mortar stores popping up, and so that's going to be a little bit more of my stuff. But anything, anything yeah. else, like especially moving forward. Well, yeah, I think yeah. Before we we go to sort of the 360 era as well, because I want to just sort of briefly touch on the kind of the uh, the original Xbox and um, PS2 kind of era as well. Um, the the same store that I discussed earlier, which was uh, um, where I kind of got the PS1 games from. Um, this is where uh, this is the only store I ever went to where I actually ever did trade-ins that I kind of liked the the because they actually gave you reasonable trading credit so this is probably my this is also the the, the first sort of the the, the the first and only period where i was actually doing trade-ins for games um it's because they they gave you because they gave you very very good store credit they i think they gave you cash if you wanted but me being young at the time i just wanted to get more games i didn't want to get cash so i was just like yeah just give me another game of some sort yeah um, <laughs> um this is also where i think i think this is the only time i ever traded in a console which is when i traded in my entire dreamcast collection which is probably the this is the tale where i think everyone said can relate to where you think yeah i probably shouldn't have done that <laughs> with the, game, the games i had jam's fucking crying over a, a, a copy of kiss psycho circus they gave him two dollars and fifty cents on oh no they gave me good credit that's the that's the one thing about it is they I, I i was able to get a ps a new ps2 from it pretty much so um that wasn't bad but obviously uh, compared to what i let go i let go um I let, people might not say much about this but i let go house of the dead 2 with the um compatible gun which we had in europe um which was pretty cool for the time and i've never been able to get that back since which is a shame because that was quite a cool thing to have for the dreamcast <laughs> so <laughs> yeah um i, I absolutely love that I, i've got it obviously i've got the game again now i've got it on like wii and stuff but it's just i don't know there's something quite cool about having it on the dreamcast um as well i had like the keyboard and like because i played fancy star i Wild. have the keyboard yeah. yeah i need to do typing of the dead some night yeah uh, it's fantastic because they changed the animation of the actual thing do you remember that yeah. like g's running around with a fucking keyboard attached to his <laughs> chest it's fantastic. There was somebody at Comic Con dressed as that with the other keyboard in front of them. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. I, I thought I was one of the few people who might have got the reference. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cause, well, because I don't think that's in House of the Dead Overkill. House of the Dead Overkill yeah, is more, more vulgar. I don't know. For some reason... Sorry to tangent this real quick, but that's the fine. reason I like the original typing of the dead on the Dreamcast was there was... Yeah, it's violent and it's a zombie game and everything, but there was that hint of innocence about it, right? Yeah. It was just so inappropriately cute. I know. Yeah. So. I, I thought it was great. It's just the fact that yeah, the swapping the swapping of the guns and the keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sort of thing they should have made a film out of that. <laughs> 
<laughs> they really should have. Never mind. But um, instead, Uve Bowl got the fucking anyway. Um, oh god, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway. But the, but the other, I don't know if you had the biggest Dreamcast collection back then. I mean, I had like you know, you know things I traded was like you know Choo Choo Rocket and Sonic and stuff like that, Sonic Adventure, and um, Choo Choo Rocket. Did you know that the Dreamcast version of Choo Choo Rocket mm-hmm. is like? I want to say it's 40 megabytes. It's like the biggest waste of a gig disc ever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's so so simple. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a good game. Like, don't don't hear me wrong. Like, uh, you know this, Jam, but Choo Choo Rocket's a fantastic game. It really is addictive as fuck. But... Yeah, it's it's the smallest game easily. It's it's smaller than almost every. It's like with but Godzilla. It's on Game Boy Advance. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's probably the same size. Um, like Godzilla, I got it on the PS4, installed it. It's three gigs. Oh wow! <laughs> on, a, on a Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's some of these games are efficiently put together. <laughs> but and all of the other big ones is obviously the Dreamcast version of um, Code of Veronica. <laughs> Ah yes, that one I was two GD ROMs. Yes, I think I was like, yeah. I mean, we talked to you a little bit about Boss Five, but I I like to kind of routinely go through some of it. So I guess the canon Resident Evil games. <laughs> well, yeah, canonically that's supposed to be four. So technically, or sorry, three. three yeah. Technically, that should have been three. So, um, but I'm going uh, back on the PS2 with the X version, even though it's exactly the bloody same game. It's just the- I have the HD version. Yeah, but yeah, isn't yeah. isn't the uh, Oh, Fortingard says DC version of uh, Choo Choo Rocket is literally a Flash game. It's <laughs> literally much. made in Flash. That doesn't surprise me. Dreamcast runs Windows CE. It, yeah. it could run. It runs Flash. Um, and Great Dick has joined our chat. Welcome, Great Dick. <laughs> it's the appropriate show for this. Absolutely. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, um, Code Veronica wasn't it harder on the Dreamcast? That I believe first people version? say it was. Um, okay. It's difficult to say because, I mean, yeah, I'm, when I first played the Code Veronica on Dreamcast, yeah, it was balls hard. Um, but, and then when I played on the PS2, it was easy. But I can't tell that. I couldn't really tell if it was just because I'd played the game and you're familiar. I was going to say, play, I yeah. wouldn't say it's easy. It's not it's easy. It's easier. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I don't think I really spent a lot of time buying in many used shops other than oh game crazy Uh. at the beginning of the 360 era there was game crazy which was a hollywood video uh was hollywood videos uh used game store and they were nuts because you could buy any game that they were renting out in the store so they had Mm -hmm. some like old gems and stuff like that uh, the other thing is they'd have crazy trade-in deals. Like, if you trade in, and it wasn't, like, as crazy as you would think. Like, let's say, what's a game that's been out for, like, a few months? Let's say Bloodborne. So, Bloodborne, yeah. you know, that's been out for a while, but it's not that old. They may do a deal this weekend where if you trade in Bloodborne, you got $60 in store credit. So, you could literally trade it for a brand new game. And I thought that was nuts. So... um Voss is saying it was probably harder than the Dreamcast. Yeah. Sorry. Well, there you go. Um, but uh, I do remember that with my used stuff, and that kind of got me back into. That's about the times where I got back into retro gaming, and I mm-hmm. think that's where used culture really starts jumping in here. So, um, 
Yes, yes, the DC VMU did have the health screen. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a bunch of VMUs around here. People are telling me they're rare. I think they're just really? rare because people don't want to trade out the CR twenty thirty two battery. It's just <laughs> yeah, I've got like a bunch of them. I there's no way they're rare. Um, no, they're not rare. What is rare is the amount of money you'll spend on all these twenty thirty twos. I had to buy like six of them. They're not cheap. They're like three mm. bucks piece. But uh, but uh, anyway. Um, so, uh, there's one so thing yeah. I wanted to touch on there. That's a bit of a diet is a little kind of a tangent, but kind of, I thought it'd be quite of interesting since we're talking about the sort of the retail experience in the show, um, was when they brought in the, um, well, at least over here, it was the, the EL, ELSA rating. And for you as the, obviously the, you know, the ESRB. Oh, um, yes. uh -huh. because me and my brother were able to get very violent games without being hounded at all. We brought Splat House to over here yes yes <laughs> because it didn't have it didn't have a rating on it in this country it was um it was one of the you know one of those games that there was no it didn't have any warning things on it either um it was just this was just before they signed it and even the first mortal Kombat in this country didn't have it either so we were able to buy mortal Kombat one <laughs> and <sighs> but obviously things changed when we tried to buy mortal Kombat two <laughs> because then they did introduce the uh, system. Yeah. and that and then we we did have a funny tale well it's not really funny really but it's because obviously i don't know if anyone's experienced itself but we we literally you know straight face tried to go and buy that game um we didn't actually know though we weren't aware of that things had changed we weren't that sort of you know and then the 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 store owner was literally like you know shaking his head at us and pointing the finger at the age restriction <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're like oh and we were obviously doing you know you just do the stupid expression on your face like oh we didn't know um but the funny thing is in this i don't, I don't know if it was the same in america but in the early days when um games were restricted and you couldn't buy them some of the stores were still a bit kind of lenient on it they were letting some kids get away with it still um in america you can get away with almost yeah with murder on almost anything um it just depends on who gives a shit or not. Yeah. So. But over yeah. here, there was one racing system that was always a big no-no. And I had a problem with it when it came to Perfect Dark. Um, we had, because we had two rating systems. We had the, well, it later became the Peggy rating system, which is the European rating system. But then we also had the BBFC rating, which is the same classification as for films. And that rating system, regardless of what the game was, um, any store, I think it was because it was some sort of law or it was some legal thing to it, they would never sell it to you unless you had proof of ID. Because um, it's the same that happened in the cinema. Because obviously our cinemas were very different to you, Fred. Um, you can't, um, with an R-rated film, you can't take anyone under, well, over here we have you know, 15 and 18. And if it, if the films are 15 or 18, you can't take someone into the cinema that's under that age, under any circumstance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, but it's the same game. So you can't sell that person that game if it has that 15 or 18 certificate to it. And obviously, I'm, I'm I think I was 17 at the time. I was trying to buy Perfect Dark, and I was just you thought might be able to get away with it, but I couldn't. <laughs> oh, in America, just, yeah. 17's the the cutoff. So yeah. you would have been fine. I'd have been fine over there, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit of a pain in the ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but yeah, I thought that'd be interesting bullshit. to talk about. But um, just to mention that, like, sort of a small sort of you know discussion about. Um, when that came into play and how that kind of changed retail as well, you know how how store eight, store owners has changed changed things as well. Mm -hmm. Asking people for ID. <laughs> yes, yes, that was definitely a big part of it. Although the weird thing is, like, um, 
lots of your retro game stores online these days, which there was this weird time right about the eBay boom, I would say the early 2000s, where yep. they would tell you their stock, but they wouldn't tell you their price. Do you remember that kind oh, of yeah. stuff? Mm. That was always weird. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah, there's... Um, there was it was it was very interesting how like yeah you would get checked on some stuff and check not checked on other for example if i'm a kid right now i can go on amazon with an email address make an account Mm -hmm. take cash go to a local supermarket buy a visa debit card pop it into amazon or buy an amazon gift card for that matter pop it into amazon and buy oni chambara yeah where it might be harder to do it outside of the online space so um but uh but yeah i i I do remember that kind of stuff um i remember the retroactive stuff did you ever see this where like retroactively games that used to not matter or were suddenly getting attention Mm. in mom and pop shops there were a bunch of places that popped up in downtown chicago and obviously out here um let me get through a, a couple of real quick shops. So um, there is on Clark Street uh, in Chicago, I want to say Addison and Clark-ish, um, there was a used game store. It might still be there. That the, We're doing very much the premium pricing stuff. Like, mm. I don't know, like Secret of Mana would be 150 bucks, But you're getting it in the heart of downtown Chicago, right? They got to pay their bills to be yeah. there. Uh, but he always had some cool stuff. Um and that guy, I remember, used to... Uh, he sold instruction manuals for 50 cents, though. I really love that. Just That's a cool. big bin of instruction manuals. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, so my wife used to buy them and just read them for fun. Uh, but uh, <laughs> while I was in the... Like, while I was perusing the store, she would just grab a bunch of instruction manuals to kill time. And then when she got them home, she would read them. But um, but I noticed that with this. And then there's a couple other places. There is a place called Game Nut N-U-T-T that's in Lawrence, Kansas, where the University of Kansas is at, KU, mm-hmm. uh, around here. They still stand. They're a little bit more premium pricing too, but they really use care in a lot of their stuff. Um, and then the the chain by me is called uh, Vintage Stock. They're really good. Uh, they kind of balance out between um what it's worth on ebay and then they always have like a price ceiling you know like they never charge more than 30 bucks for a playstation 2 game you know Mm -hmm. they go a little more expensive on the old rare vintage stuff you know like fire and ice they sell for 90 bucks or whatever when i rented that but um but yeah uh i've noticed that like you bring mortal kombat 2 up and maybe they'll say something whereas they didn't in the past like they're like well you know this might not be appropriate for him or or the guy game if that's ever around or max Payne that was one that was surprising kid brought up max Payne and he told he showed the mom and he goes yeah th- this guy's popping pills and he's chasing after his dead infants dead killer baby, yeah are you okay with this and of course the moms are always like yeah sure whatever it's a video oh, no, game it's really? not like it's gonna teach him to be <laughs> yeah of course that's america that's america for you hmm. but uh b mulligan is asking was it 1060 west addison it that seems a little that seems a little east to me possibly though yeah no wait clark would be yeah yeah that's it that's it b mulligan i'm guessing b mulligan knows chicago um so but uh, yes i think that was the place 
Um, there was a Mexican joint across the street that had fucking amazing margaritas and great street tacos. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, anyway. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And I think eBay really changed stuff up. It, uh, it made things easier to find what you wanted, but it brought the prices up everywhere, right? You couldn't find yeah. gems in flea markets anymore. You, uh, it kind of gave a universal price. And to this day, like I always tell people, eBay does not define the price. It's it's what the last person who bought it will pay for it, right? Yeah. You know, um, somebody was... I was reading an article that somebody sent to me. Yes. Oh, I know, Voss. It's, it is terrible. Somebody gave it to me to write for Gaming History 101. And I did my best to cover that game. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I... Uh, I, I uh, you know, eBay was kind of the great... Oh, sorry. This article that somebody sent to me, this guy's trying to get all the PAL versions of every game that exists. And he talked yeah. about an $1,100 horror game. And I was like, oh, of course, he's probably talking about Michigan. Although oh, I, quite I recent, would, <laughs> yeah, this was like today's article. And I was like, that would be crazy though. If Michigan's worth that much, uh, definitely makes up for my price. I paid <laughs> for it. Um, but no, he was actually talking about rule of Rose. Yeah. That, that's crazy expensive over here. Yeah, I guess in PAL territories, it's unheard of. I guess I should be very happy that I got my copy of Rule of Rose for 30 bucks, huh? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Never sell it. Never let anyone touch it. But I have seen Rule of Rose go for a lot cheaper than what he said. It's uh, I, some Most conventions I've been to sell it for 50 quid. It's all right. Woo! Yeah. That's a good price. It's a good uh, price, most yeah. places, Yeah, Rule of Rose is pretty much 100 plus dollar game yeah. depending on what you got it at. uh i will be playing it this uh, holiday season though like mm -hmm. live streaming it just to get it out there but anyway um but yeah i've I, I definitely noticed that with mom and pop shops um and if you don't mind we got one more from uh yep. strip mahjong i love this guy uh, great name strip mahjong mm -hmm. great game you should play it um <laughs> he says Hello, Gaming History 101. I'm writing in to tell a little story about an independent game store that was in the Chicagoland area of Illinois, Schaumburg specifically, during the mid-90s called CyberZone. So here's the irony. I was right near Schaumburg when I grew up, mm -hmm. and I've never heard of or knew CyberZone. <laughs> anyway, I absolutely love this place. It was a tiny little hole in the wall that didn't have the biggest selection of games in the world, but they actually sold import games in the store, which is still the only time in my life that I've ever seen that. The owner also knew a guy, in quotes, that worked in the arcade machines at Chuck E. Cheese across the street uh, that could mod systems for 50 bucks. So I had him mod my Saturn and began exploring the world of importing, which was something completely alien to me at the time. It's also probably why I have much fonder memories of my Saturn, which I still own, than a lot of, uh, than a lot of other people from that time do. Yes, if you haven't heard our Saturn, check it out. Uh, CyberZone was pretty far from where I lived, and this was before I was of driving age, so I only got to go as often as I could inconvenience my mom to take me, which wasn't always easy since we had plenty of other quote-unquote normal gaming stores nearby, so it was a pretty big deal for me uh, whenever I got to go. I remember one day in particular we showed up after an hour-long drive and were surprised to find the place unexpectedly closed. After peering through the darkened windows for a few mm. seconds in bewilderment, we turned and started to leave when the owner of the place hopped out of a car in the parking lot and came up to us. Uh, he asked if we were there to buy or just browse. I told him buy, and then he asked if uh, I knew what I wanted, and I told him I did. Samurai Showdown 4, if I remember correctly. So he unlocked the door, let us in, sold the game to me with most of the lights in the store still off, and locked the door behind us as we all left. Naturally, I asked what was up. 
It turned out he had managed to get tickets to the Bulls playoff game that night. This was during the Jordan years when they were constantly winning championships. That was known as three-peat. And I didn't have anyone else and didn't have anyone else to watch the store, so he decided to close early since he figured it was a once-in-a-lifetime chance for him. He happened to notice us just as he was leaving for the game. For some reason, I've always remembered this. It would have been easy enough for him to just leave and pretend we weren't there, but he didn't, and it was very nice throughout the Mm. whole thing. Maybe he decided to take pity on some sad kid peering through the windows of a closed store, or maybe he thought he'd just try making one last quick buck before leaving, but regardless, it left an impression on me. Of course, there's also the fact that we had shown up 20 seconds later. This odd little story would have... (laughs) <laughs> that I've remembered all these years would have been instead one of mild disappointment that faded from my memory long ago. But hey, things are the way they are. That's right. That's um, uh, <laughs> Voss, I, I'm kind of agreeing with you. Rule of Rose is not some... It's rare, but it's not the greatest game in the universe. Uh, short story long, the day we ended... Uh, one day we showed up in CyberZone had been replaced by a party supply store. I tried to find oh. out if it had moved somewhere else. But I was never able to learn what happened. Maybe the guy closed early one too many times and they went out of business. At any rate, it broke my heart and I still lament the loss of it and other independent game stores that have vanished over the years. I'm not sure if this is exactly what kind of story you were looking for. It is. Uh, but I thought I'd take, uh, I'd share it anyway. Love the show, guys. Take care. Thank you very much, That's Mr. Shukrazong. Yeah. Yeah, I love the stories like that. Yeah. So that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, I should also point out there are two other people who I've actually gone and seen their stores. Uh, um, I don't want to go look it up on Gaming History 1-1, so I totally ap- apologize. I think it's called Game On was uh, a store in Omaha, Nebraska that I went and checked out. The owner was really cool, and he's why I got my Japanese copy of Dr. Hauser. Mm which is basically a survival horror Japanese only 3DO game based on basically the concept of house, like house MD, the TV show. I've never understood it or anything. I'm going to try to play it because the only like, I think it's the only Japan only 3DO game, but, uh, and there is a full script that I've printed up, but uh, it's an interesting game. But uh, I wanted to give props there. And also Alan Phoenix, uh, he invited me out to the shop he worked at. I think he and his wife both worked at it, which was a fantastic store. I have to also apologize. I remember seeing it, but I have I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But it was an awesome store in Lincoln, Nebraska. So mm. those were both awesome stores that stand today. Like those are stores that I go and check out at least once a year when I drive out that way. So... Uh, definitely worth checking out so but uh yeah yeah mom and pop stores (laughs) i don't know um and of course there is always the retro circuit portland retro gaming expo is a great place Mm -hmm. you recently went to um black blackpool yep black play play blackpool (laughs) whatever it's called yeah yeah, and do you have any other good retro conventions that are around your neck of the woods? Yeah, we, we're getting quite a lot around here now. I mean, even, even um, Comic-Con that I just went to has now got a retro section in it, which is pretty cool. And they Because awesome. they, they had um, Sigourney Weaver there this year, they were showing off basically most of the Alien games, which seemed kind of appropriate since we just talked about those <laughs> on the show. Yeah, I think she's going to actually be coming back for that new Aliens movie they're oh, making they, that's they, in between 2 and 3. They released a well. The director he released a concept um, art. I Freddy. saw that. Yeah, with her and Hicks post <laughs> yeah. melty face. Yeah, I love that was it, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, 
Michael Beam is gonna have to go under some basic ma- or some pretty heavy makeup for that one. But uh, I love that they got him back. Mm. Um, but well, I, like, uh, I like that. But yeah, but think, anyway, yeah. apart from that, um, there's also yeah, there's there's play Manchester, which is the biggest one of the year. Um, we're, we're probably not gonna make that this year because I'm gonna because I was I, I was either that or um, EGX, which is Eurogame, and I thought I'll do Eurogame instead, even though Eurogame also has a retro section. Most of the gaming places have retro sections now. I feel that Europe appreciates retro yeah. a, a tad bit more than America. And there is a, a museum that's literally a town away from me that's opened um, that I really, really need to check out because it's, it's obviously um, summer over here at the moment. Um, and they, they're, they're doing a ma- – it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's literally a computer museum. They're doing a massive retro thing over there where they're going to be showcasing some of the old microcomputers. So that's something I definitely need to try and check out this summer if possible and obviously cover it for the site. Yeah, well, and B. Mulligan says, I missed the Portland Retro Expo by three days last summer. I have to learn to plan better. Yeah, I was hoping <laughs> I to go out. I was hoping to go out this year, um, but uh, I actually ended up going to PAX. Uh, so I'm going to be at PAX. So if anyone's mm-hmm. going to PAX Prime in Seattle at the end of August, um, it did sell out really fast. But you can still get them on eBay and whatnot. Um, I also might have a set of passes I'm going to be selling off, but I got to be honest with you guys. I got press passes and before that I had bought them. And so the tickets are going to be pretty expensive. So I'm not, I'm not trying to make, I'm not making any profit. I'm just trying to get my money back. So I understand if nobody's going to do it, I uh, can find buyers elsewhere. But, uh, but just so you know, stay tuned. There might be an opportunity to get, uh, and they are single day passes. So you can basically pick the days you want to go. But uh, PAX seems to have some cool stuff, although PAX Prime as opposed to PAX East. PAX East tends to have some of the retro stuff, especially arcade stuff, whereas PAX Prime tends to be a little more like public E3 almost. Like, so mm. I don't know how retro it's going to be, but you know what? The upstairs area is tons of retro playing, uh, which I'm definitely going to be spending a lot of time with. So, but And then, of course, uh, there is the Midwest Gaming Classic, which I you know went to and go to that's a fantastic retro gaming expo so um but yeah i don't know i just there's something to be said about you know the mom and pop stores everyone from the ones who really care like those ones that i was talking about in yeah. nebraska and then there's a place called like Gameco or something that's in paola which is paola kansas is like this it's the it's the most rural town you'll find in the outskirts of kansas city and that guy does not give a shit about games at all. Like yeah. he doesn't hate them, but he sells games and he just doesn't know what things are worth. And you can totally, t- and, and not, you can't really take advantage of him cause he looks at the internet and stuff, but in, in a weird way, like you go in there and you're like, well, I'm looking for something cool and that not a lot of people have And he whips out like a import copy of dragon ball Z for the PlayStation one. And he goes, huh? Uh, okay okay you don't know what i'm talking about you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> or like super mario rpg does it save uh, i don't know but it's 40 dollars. Uh, that's an okay price but it, it will you give me my money back if it doesn't save no okay well you know so stuff like that or like you ask for Mega Man legend and he shows you you know Mega Man six yeah like oh, okay i mean they have the same name so anyway but they're all fun Mm-hmm. so anyway all right well i don't know jam any uh final words before we wrap this bitch up i guess uh sort of for the modern state of uh retro gaming stores in this country they're 
they're few and far between, but they are still around. There's like there's one left kind of in, which is quite shocking for London, the biggest city in this country. Uh, there's only like one main one left there. Um, but they mostly um, they operate over the internet, like most of these retro stores, uh, or through eBay. Um, there is a town that's fairly close to me called Norwich, which um, is is quite cool going there because there's literally Fred several kind of like antique or kind of like old stores that sell games. It's almost something. It almost nice. feels like going back twenty years. And I love like it's to, locked in yeah. time. <laughs> it, it is because I go work there now with my how things have changed with my work um, situation. I, I I go there once uh, once probably every two weeks now, and it's quite good just to revisit that area and thinking that these places haven't changed <laughs> over that sort of course of time. Nice. So they, uh, they even sell Mega Drive games and older games. I mean, obviously, most of them are aware of what they're worth, and some of them are a bit mm-hmm. too much, which is a bit... Which I even ask some of them, just I can't ask him why the price is so high, not to be a dick, but just curiosity. And he just says to, obviously, try and cover his costs. But you're, like, thinking, eh. But obviously, to pay, cause obviously <laughs> to pay rents and stuff. But you just think, right. I still don't get it. But... <laughs> I'm not here to pay for your cho- uh, for for your choice in where to put up. Uh... We're, we're talking over eBay prices, you know. He, I think, and I think I asked him how do you get his price, and he even says, "Oh, I look on eBay and I charge more than the the whatever that it was sold for." I think, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> yeah, but never mind. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, again, they're they're always cool to check out. But yeah, yeah that has become I'll the problem. Like the internet yeah. has made buying a little more rare than shopping mm. but i always like checking them out and pawn shops too out in that those ozarks yeah. area julie and i were on vacation out the ozarks with our daughter recently and that was the place where i walked into a pawn shop and they just had no idea what they had you know and i bought like all kinds of good playstation xbox and gamecube mm. games for like dirt cheap it still you happens know? you can these things are still out there and people aren't aware of what they're worth yeah so but uh, all right. Well, I think we'll call it to a close. Uh, next week, we've got a uh, very special episode, so you should come check it out. Um, we are going to have a lot of guests, and it's going to be worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, our special guest from tonight, I won't tell who he is, but those of you who are fans of Boston accents know exactly who he is. Uh, he <laughs> said he, he unfortunately wasn't able to make it tonight. He was planning on it, but at the last minute, he did have a change of plans. Um, but he said he plans to come by soon. Excellent. So we've got that. So we, yeah, a bunch of guests next week, and then we will have Chip on for the uh, game club for Alpha oh, Protocol, which will be a little different than our normal game yeah. clubs um, because it'll mostly be talking about the crazy choices you can make. But uh, <laughs> stay tuned for that. And uh, in the meantime, you can watch Gaming History 101. We'll be doing some Shenmue stuff. Um, and uh, Jam's going to be doing some extra credits. We got lots of fun stuff going live, so definitely check out the site. So, um, and you can join us here on All Games every Tuesday night at eight p.m. Eastern. Or sorry, pff, seven p.m. Eastern yeah. Standard Time. <laughs> but I know what time it is. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, all right. Well, thank you, Chatters. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, All Games. Thank you, TC. And um, if you want to contact us, it's contact at gaminghistory101.com. Don't forget to vote on the game club. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I know Voss has, so we, <laughs> we, we and, and I know that Jesse has, so, um, but uh, there's a few more. Gren, I'm talking to you. Helen, come on, get up in there. Um, how about, uh, how about Psy1? Does anybody know who Psy1 is? He's our, um, our first native born Australian listener. We haven't done that for a while. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> I know, and we offend Sparky every time, which is why I feel bad because he is the true Australian born. But anyway, um, vote for it because there's a specific one that's that's gonna that's winning right now. Uh, so anyway, all right, everybody, and um, and Fortinguard, we will be in touch about the extra credit stuff on that other stuff. So anyway, in the meantime, peace out.